Today, friends, we continue our series for Lent, God on the Move. In the series, we're exploring how the God we know in Jesus is always on the move in the Bible and in our lives today. And it's really a reminder that no matter what, no matter what we're going through in life, God is there with us. So far, we've experienced how God is with us in the wilderness moments of our lives. Last week, we explored how God is always about the business of gathering us in, bringing us closer together, like a hen protecting her brood of chicks from danger. Today, we continue the theme as we turn to the prophet Isaiah, as we see God at work inviting us to the waters and to a rich feast. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 55th chapter of Isaiah, beginning with the first verse. All of you who are thirsty, come to the water. Whoever has no money, come, buy food and eat. Without money, at no cost, buy food and eat. Why spend money for what isn't food? In your earnings for what doesn't satisfy. Listen to me carefully and eat what is good. Enjoy the riches of feasts. Listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful loyalty to David. Look, I made him a witness to the peoples, a prince and commander of peoples. Look, you will call a nation you don't know. A nation you don't know will run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel who has glorified you. Seek the Lord where he can still be found. Call him when he is yet near. Let the wicked abandon their ways and the sinful their schemes. Let them return to the Lord so that he may have mercy on them, to our God, because he is generous with forgiveness. My plans aren't your plans, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my plans than your plans. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. A couple times in my life now, I've had the privilege of traveling to the Mediterranean region, visiting uh, countries of Italy, Greece, and Turkey. I love the culture, the history, in particularly uh, the, the places where the apostles ministered and visited. I love seeing the architecture, and this list could truly go on and on, but Arguably, what I love most about the region is the food. Everything there seems so fresh. The the flavors are so vibrant. There's another part of the restaurant and food experience in uh, the Mediterranean I want to talk about. In many of the places we visited, it was the practice of an employee, or often enough, the owner of the restaurant itself, would stand there either at the door of the restaurant or the gate leading you into the restaurant, enticing you to come in and dine with them. See, in many of these places, there was stiff competition, particularly in the parts where all the restaurants were right there next to one another, either on the same street or plaza. Some would have samples of their delicious food uh, out to taste to, to entice you to come in. Others would tell you about their specialties, and some others yet would try to simply spark up a conversation with you to get you to choose their restaurant. 
My favorite experience personally was after looking at a menu at, at a, in a town in Greece. The, the older man, the restaurant owner, linked arms with me and, and led me into the restaurant before I even said I would pick their restaurant. <laughs> You may think of the tactic as a little pushy and unnerving, but to me it never really felt that pushy. Instead, it always felt like an act of extreme hospitality and generous welcome. In our reading from Isaiah this morning, God actually reminds me of such a restaurateur, offering a warm welcome to Israel to come in and dine, to feast. See, in this time, Israel has been in exile in Babylon. Babylon came and destroyed their temple and their holy city in Jerusalem. But now, God is calling for their return in this section of Isaiah. The whole prophecy of Isaiah, which scholars say is divided up into three distinct sections, has this overall movement from the judgment of Israel to its restoration as the people of God. And this is what we see begin. This restoration begins and takes a a, a true form here in our text. So how does God offer restoration and welcome back the people? By inviting Israel to a lavish feast. Much like the numerous restaurant owners offering a hospitable welcome, God is offering, welcoming Israel to come in and dine, to feast. In an arid desert climate, speaking to a people who have likely been traveling on foot for some time, God says, hey, all of you out there who are thirsty, come to the waters. Hey, all of you who are hungry, come, dine with me, come to my feast and eat. There's another thing we need to note about this feast, though. It's free. The prophet says, hey, you who have no money, come buy food and eat. Without money, at no cost, buy wine and milk. This is an important detail we can't really overlook here. See, Israel in this time of captivity and exile had little to no money. There actually wasn't minted money yet, so the word for money in Hebrew here is actually the word for silver. As scholars noted that during this time of captivity, most Israelites were collecting large amounts of debt, some even having to go into indentured servitude. Uh, to pay off this debt. So God says there's no price of admission for this feast. It's free. And this feast, the menu of this feast isn't rice and beans. Isaiah tells us that it's a lavish feast with rich food and milk and wine. Friends, we may not think of milk as a delicacy today, but it was a lot harder to come by back then. So in an arid desert climate, God invites Israel to an oasis with plenty of water to drink. And in this time of economic depression, God invites Israel to feast in a time of famine. Now, there's a little bit of irony here in this rich feast in a time uh, where some of us might be giving up indulgent treats for Lent. But the, the promise, the welcome is all the same. Come, buy, and eat rich foods without cost, without price. Come and dine with me. But there's a bigger context of this feast that that God invites Israel to partake in. The prophet says, listen and come to me. Listen and you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. This idea of an everlasting covenant with God, the Hebrew term is barit olam, it was a big deal. It reminded them of the covenant of David, whose monarchy was seen as a sort of Camelot time for Israel. 
God's call for Israel to return, for the people of God to return, is also a promise to restore and uphold, to strengthen. This promise is not one that's made provisionally or reluctantly by God. It's an all-out, all-you-can-eat feast of God's grace. In Hebrew, the word for repent is actually the word that means return, shuv. The idea is to turn away from the things that separate us from God and one another, that we might turn back to God, that we might return to God. In the season of Lent, we are called as disciples to return to God, to turn away from the things that separate us from God and one another and turn back towards God. But it's a reminder, friends, that no matter how far off we might feel from God, God is always inviting us in. Not reluctantly or provisionally, but abundantly, like this rich feast without price. Now, I'd like to return to the rhetorical question the prophet asks uh, following the gracious invitation to the feast. First, I love rhetorical questions in the Bible. They seem to be some of the most powerful moments for discipleship and spiritual growth. On Easter, we'll explore my favorite rhetorical question in the Bible, uh, in Luke's Gospel, as the angel asks the women at the empty tomb, why do you look for the living among the dead? Luke also begins his Acts of the Apostles with the question just after Jesus ascends into heaven, why are you still gazing heavenward? Rhetorical questions like these usually offer us a crossroads of discipleship in Scripture. Which way will we turn and go? In our lesson, the prophet Isaiah asks, Why spend money for what isn't food, and your earnings for what doesn't satisfy? We can't undermine the fact that many today, both around the world and in our own backyards, are physically hungry and lack clean drinking water. In many ways, this prophecy can be understood as a call to work towards feeding the hungry and quenching the thirst in our midst and around the world. But I also think this question provides us a powerful metaphor today and how we think about God's invitation to us. As Jesus will do frequently in the Gospels, the prophet Isaiah here uses money as a metaphor of talking about our relationship with God. Something you may not know about me as your pastor is that over the years, I've become quite a nerd when it comes to the topic of personal finance. It started a while back when I was just trying, uh, as we were expecting our first child, and I was trying to make sure we had our financial lives in order, uh, becoming grown-ups, you know. But now I just honestly enjoy the topic and reading books and thinking about it. I know, I'm a geek, right? I think one of the reasons I enjoy the topic, though, as a pastor, is because it gets to the heart of the prophet's question here. Do our values line up with our spending? Does the way we spend our time, our money, our energy, our bandwidth, does all this stuff line up with what we cherish most in our lives and our relationships with God and one another? I think we could start to see the prophet's metaphor take form. Like Israel, so often we're hungry and thirsty spiritually. We're looking for meaning in a sometimes meaningless world. We're looking for connection in a disjointed society. We're looking for community in a world of isolation. How can we find these things? Where can we find these things? So often we place our hope on material things we think will quench our thirst and satisfy our hunger. Things like that next promotion or the new model of your favorite car maker. 
Other times we try to satisfy our thirst and hunger by keeping up with our neighbors. Recently, we were all perplexed by the efforts of elites of, uh, in the action of bribing their children's way into some of our country's most prestigious colleges and universities, showing just the means we're willing to go through for something we think will satisfy. But the biggest thing that our culture seems to be seeking to satisfy our hunger these days is in the action of busying ourselves and our children to wit's end. Friends, I promise you will not find being overscheduled and underrested as listed among the spiritual gifts in the Bible. I promise. But we do it. Time and time again, we place our hope in things we think will quench our thirst and satisfy our hunger. And, you know, maybe they temporarily do. But in the end, they'll always leave us hungry and thirsty for more. What do we spend our time, our money, our energy, our, our bandwidth on that does not nourish us? What do we do, or what things that, that are not life-giving in our lives? But the bigger question for us to consider, though, friends, is in light of all this, how is God calling for us to return? Remember, friends, the season of Lent is a time for return to turn away from the things that separate us from God and one another, that we might return back to God, back in relationship with God and one another. How is God, like a bold restaurateur, calling us back from these things that leave us hungry and thirsty and inviting us to God's own rich feast built on love, justice, and peace? It's an all-you-can-eat feast of God's own grace, friends. Throughout the centuries, we have found this community in the church. We were able to support one another in our collective return to God, to provide care, compassion, guidance, and shared reflection in how God is at work in our lives and in our world, quenching our thirst and satisfying our hunger. Friends in Christ, like a hospitable innkeeper or abundantly generous restaurateur, God invites us. All of us, all who hunger and thirst to gather for a rich feast. In this way, in this action, God invites for us to return, to grow closer in relationship with God and each other. God's promise, God's covenant is not provisional. It's not reluctant. It's everlasting. This God will not give up. Why would we spend our time, our energy, on resources, on anything else than that which gives us life? Friends, as we continue on our journey to Jerusalem, may we seek to return to God with our whole hearts, to return with our whole selves. May we seek to be fed by God as we are invited to this rich feast with the faithful of every time and place. Friends, may it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.